0: Our Father, we are grateful tonight for your absolute control. We're grateful that uh, Psalm 103 says, His throne is in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all, the psalmist said. It's not that your throne is in the heaven and your sovereignty rules over some or most, but your sovereignty rules over all. Um, what, what, What a great God! Psalm, is it 115? I don't, I'm blanking, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. We we think that powerful people are doing whatever they please. And and at times it seems like it, and they're getting away with it. But uh, you are doing whatever you please. You are working your plan. You are working Your plan from the ages. You, you are in the details. We throw this around sometimes. The devil is in the details. Actually, you are in the details. You are in the details of all things. Um, when when we forget that, we get anxious. When we remember it, we calm down. Uh, your sovereignty applies to every area of our lives. It, it, it applies to our uh, daily existence. It, it, it applies to uh, our place in life. It, it applies to our, uh, our fears and our anxieties and our worries and our concerns and the things that are pressing in on us, uh, the, the problems that, that are, are becoming acute and that we a- actually see no way out. But your throne is in the heavens. Your sovereignty rules over all. You rule over us and our problems. You said, call on me in the day of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will honor me. There is nothing that baffles you. There is nothing that confuses you. There is nothing that can thwart your plan for our lives or for the universe or for a nation. You are our father, and you're not just a father. You're the perfect father. Uh, your eye is upon us. You understand us. You get us. You know when we need discipline, and you know how much discipline we need. And you you never make a mistake with us. You know when to encourage us. You know how to encourage us. You know how to deliver us. You know how to teach us to overcome our fears. You're the perfect father. You have never missed yet, and you never will. So we can come to you at any time with all of our failures and our mistakes and our regrets and our sin. And because you're perfect, you made a way for our sin to be forgiven by sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because you have clearly said that when we trust in Christ alone that our sins are forgiven forever, you free us. And whom the Son had set free is free indeed. We can always come. We can always come. We can always tell you what's on our heart. We might as well tell you what's on our heart because you know what's on our heart. Thank you, Lord, that sometimes we pray and we pray incorrectly and we pray for things that we really don't need and things that wouldn't be of value to us. And as one of the old Puritan pastors said, God has answered every one of my prayers. He either gave me what I prayed for or he gave me what I should have prayed for. There again, you're the perfect Father. So tonight, as we open your word, Lord, the fact is we're in process. None of us have arrived. We are far from perfection, but Jesus is perfection, and Jesus is great, and he is doing a work in our lives. We are being conformed to the image of Christ. As we are on this pathway day by day, this journey day by day, encourage us. Remind us that you're with us. Don't let us uh, become weary in well-doing, Don't let the enemy uh, lie to us in such a way that we listen. But let us listen to your word as we study and embrace it tonight. Do a deep work in all of our hearts. We look to Jesus. We don't look to anybody else. We look to Jesus. We don't look to the government. We don't look to politicians. We don't look to this or that or any other book except Jesus and his book, the word of God. As we do that... Do your work tonight in our hearts. We can walk out of here with a lighter burden than when we walked in. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. <laughs> so tonight we are in Philippians chapter two, uh, in in a, in a passage. I love this passage because. This passage is talking about the process that we are all in uh, as Christian men. When when, when Christ comes into our lives and um, we hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit pulls us to himself and we trust in Christ alone for the forgiveness of our sins, everything changes. We, We have gone from spiritual death to spiritual life. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. All old things have passed away. All things have become new. So we're on. We we have a we have a new heart. We have complete forgiveness. Um, we're on a new path. Instead of uh, us being uh, in charge of, or, or in charge of our lives, and instead of us being our own gods. And before we come to know Christ, we, we are all idol worshipers, and our number one idol is ourself. Um, But now we say, along with David, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my God. The Lord is my Lord. The Lord is my master. We're following Christ. Uh, And and this is a process. Salvation is a process. And there are pieces to salvation. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself already. So I want to go to Philippians 2. And I want to read. We're going to cover a chunk of Philippians 2 tonight from verses 12-12 down to the end of the chapter in verse 30. Some of it I'm going to helicopter over, but but I want to really focus on what we'd see in the opening verses, beginning with verse 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, watch this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work within you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, That's a fascinating statement. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work within you. Now, first of all, let's notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God watch this not as a result of works so uh, most people their concept of being a Christian and following Christ has to do with good works okay and you do enough good works and when you die if the good works they put you in the old scale thing you know the balance and if the good works outweigh the bad works then you're in well the bad news is uh we're all in trouble because um, what God requires, God requires 100% perfection. You, you, you could be perfect for 50 years, and uh, one minute before you die, a nurse could come in and spill hot tea on you, and you curse. That's tough luck, Charlie. See, that's a pretty high standard. It's a high standard. But you don't need to wait till one minute before you die to break the standard. You see, and and you say, well, God has a very strict standard. Actually, he does have a very strict standard, but you have your own standard. And what's interesting is we break our own standard all the time. Okay. It doesn't say work for your salvation. Salvation is a gift of God. Uh, When you understand that salvation is by grace alone. I remember... um, I, I remember several years ago, not several years ago, several decades ago, uh, actually. There was some, uh, I, I was teaching, I was, I was a college intern in a church while I was in seminary. And there were some girls that were going to a college. And in their dorm, some, some Mormon missionaries had come through and were meeting with them. And, and so these girls came to me and asked me if I would meet with them, and I had my my friend Robert Lewis. I said, Robert, you you got time? Let's go down there and talk with these guys. So the girls were there, and the two guys were there, and we talked for maybe two and a half, three hours. And um, so the, the two guys of the Mormon faith gave their presentation of what Mormonism is and who Christ was and all that. And then we gave the gospel, that salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone, by grace alone. Ephesians 2.8. And as we were discussing, I said to, the, I said to them, I said, that the thing is, here's what it is, that when, when Christ died on the, sin, on the cross, how many of my sins were future? They were all future. So that means as I'm here tonight, my past sins have been covered, my present sins have been covered, and the sin I've yet to commit has already been covered because Jesus paid it all on the cross. And he's adopted me into his family. And that is a position I cannot lose. And it, it's, all, it's all grace, it's all free grace, it's all sovereign grace. And one of those young guys, they were in their early 20s, one of those guys said, that's incredible. I'll never forget. He goes, that is incredible. He'd never heard that before. He said, I wish I could believe it. I said, you can believe it. Because it's right here. And then his buddy started, you know, he was amazed by that. He was amazed. And until you're amazed by grace, I don't think you really understand grace. And when you understand it, it takes such a load off. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that out of yourselves. So here he is saying to those who have been saved, he's writing to the Philippian church, Christians, they know the Lord, they've been redeemed, they've trusted in Christ alone. He says to them, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. What I'd like to do tonight is deal with this question of, well, how do I work out my salvation? He, he's talking to the church at Philippi. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But know this: as he talks to the church at Philippi, the church at Philippi is made up of individuals. We, we've got uh, uh, we're 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 here at Stonebriar Church. We're in a building. Um, some of you are members of this church. You, others of you are members of another church. But there, there are local bodies of, of believers in Christ, but there's a universal body of believers. What I'm saying to you is, is that the church, the universal church, are those uh, all over the world, different times, who have put their place and in, in, in trust in Christ alone. Uh, they're part of the church. Um, So when you have a group of Christians in a church or in a Bible study, and he writes to them at Philippi, work out your salvation, he's talking to them as a group. But the group is comprised of individuals. So this has an application to the church. It has an application to individuals. We as individuals are working out our salvation. All of us are in process. All of us, as we're walking with the Lord and following the Lord Jesus, and he's our shepherd, we've settled that issue, We are now walking with him, and we're trying to work out what he's doing in our lives, because he's doing something in our lives. And it's major league stuff, and it's important stuff, and it covers every facet and aspect of our lives. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God. God is at work within us, both the will and the work for his good pleasure. So this is something we want to pay attention to. This is something we don't take lightly. as we deal with this, I want to say something about salvation. I want to go into a little bit more on salvation. We tend to think, um, when someone says they've come to know Christ, or they've been saved from their sin, we tend to, and and sometimes people will have conversations, uh, on this date, this is when Christ came into my life, and I would say, and they can peg it. It's very exact. Others Others who really have a walk with Christ, there's no question about it. It's interesting, some have a little more difficulty pegging the date because it was sort of a process, and it was, it was not, it was like, anyway, God works in different ways, but he brings us. Okay. Uh, salvation is more than just the moment you trusted in Christ alone for forgiveness of sins. Salvation, that's salvation, but salvation is more than that. Uh, Go to Romans 8 with me if you would, please. There is a package to salvation. Uh, you, you'll see some terms in scripture. You'll see justification, you will see sanctification, and you will see glorification. Now, don't let the terms don't get don't don't lose me here. Justification is what happens when you hear the gospel and the Spirit of God pulls you to Christ and your eyes are open, you say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Uh, you're regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and you are born again. At that moment, you are justified. Now, I want you to go to Romans 8, but on the way to Romans 8, stop off at Romans 5, because it deals with justification in Romans 5, uh, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith. I, I, I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. He died in my place on the cross. He died for me. Yes, he did. That's the gospel. Uh, Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So when we trust in Christ alone, we are justified. We are made right by, before God by what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf. Okay, that's justification. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, now <laughs> there is utter peace with God because God has anger towards sin. And before I come to know Christ, I, am, I deserve the wrath of God. But the wrath of God for my sin, which should have come on me, was put on Jesus. So that's justification. Then there's something called sanctification. Sanctification is what happens after I trust in Christ. To be sanctified is to be set apart. So as I'm, as I, now that I belong to Christ, if any, man is a new, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I have been set apart from my old life. And now um, I'm set apart for him. You see, I belong to Christ. So this is going to be my Christian life and my Christian walk and my Christian journey on this earth. It is a process, okay? It's where we learn to grow in grace, and it's the process by which we go from immaturity to maturity. So it's a process. It, it, the growth is usually slow. It involves all kinds of different things, just as watching our babies grow into adults. Okay. Okay. That's sanctification. Then there's glory. And this is all part of salvation. Glorification is what happens when you die. And um, when Christ returns on the resurrection day, and to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, when we die, we go to heaven. When Christ returns, we'll receive new bodies, and that's glorification. So you see how it's all covered? Justification is when I receive Christ, I receive eternal life, my sins are forgiven. That's justification. Sanctification is being set apart now as I walk through life with Christ and I'm just living my life and I'm following him and I'm growing in grace. Okay, where we are right now, we're in sanctification. When we die, we're heading for glorification. That's all salvation. Salvation is a package deal. It's just not the moment that you heard the gospel and responded. That's important. It's a package. Romans 8. There is a chain to salvation. There is a process to salvation. Okay? That happens before we ever trust Christ. It's pretty wild. (laughs) So in Romans 8, you know the verse, Romans 8 28, which is a phenomenal verse. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's those who are following Christ. Okay? What a great verse. Everything in my life, whatever happens to me, God somehow, some way will make it work for my good. Okay? Now, we tend to stop right there. But don't stop there, because now it's going to explain how that works. We know that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew. Or to those, the idea here is those who he foreloved. You'll see sometimes, like uh, in, in in older translations of the Bible, when speaking of uh, a man's relationship, sexual relationship with his wife, and Abraham knew Sarah. You've seen that, haven't you? It's talking about a love. It's a deep love. It's an intimacy between a man and a woman, between a husband and wife. See, he knew Sarah. God foreknew you. See, oftentimes we've been been taught, many of us, oh, yeah, what God did, he looked into the future to see who who would choose him. And because we chose him, oh, he chose us. That is the exact reverse of what the Bible teaches. We love him because he first, what? Loved us. We got it reversed. We think he loves us because he looked in the future and saw that we loved him and now he loves us. That's absolutely contrary to Scripture. Those whom he, what is it? Those whom um, he foreknew, or those whom he foreloved. He loved you before you were ever born. You see? Those whom he foreloved, he foreknew, he also, watch this, predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. We've said this before in here. A lot of Christians in our age don't like the word predestination. It really has a bad vibe for them. You see? Okay, that's that's fine if you don't like the word predestination. But let me ask you this. How many of you guys believe that God has a plan for your life? I'm curious. Okay, you believe in predestination. (laughs) Because that's what it means. God has a plan. And I'm going to tell you something. You can't go to heaven without being predestined. You want to be predestined. You want to be chosen. You want to be elect. Okay? Okay? You say, but what about my will? Uh, yeah, I know. I get that. We'll talk about that a little bit here. By the way, what about your will? You were dead in your trespasses and sin, Ephesians 2.1. Well, oh, I have a free will. Actually, your free will is dead. Because your free will is captive to your and slave to your sin. And you're dreading your trespasses and sin. That's Ephesians 2.1. Dead men can't choose to become alive. So Ephesians 2.1 says. Keep your place in Romans 8. But Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But even when we, even when we were dead, he made us alive. He made us alive. Because he, if, if, if it was up to us to choose, we would never choose him. Because Psalm 14 says, there is no one who seeks God. There is no one who does good. God's looked over all the sons of the earth. There is no one who seeks him. By the way, if someone is seeking him, it's because he is seeking them and bringing them in. He's pulling you in, you see? C.S. Lewis said, I came kicking and screaming into the kingdom. He really didn't want to come. And see, for a lot of us, it was a big struggle to come. Because we really didn't want to give stuff up. And we had to hit absolute rock, stinking bottom. Utter and absolute desperation before we call the name of the Lord. Okay. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, watch this, he also called. Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus also said in John 6, all that the Father has given me will come. Uh, Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also, watch this, justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You see, guys, this is a package. This is a chain That is an unbreakable chain. If you have trusted in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, you, Romans 5, are justified, and those whom he justified, ah, he also glorified. It's done. Hasn't hasn't happened yet, but it's as good as done. It's fixed. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Precisely. You're in. What a Savior. What a Savior. You know what this means to me? He saves me not only from sin. He saves me from me. Because I'm my biggest enemy. I'm my biggest problem. Look at verse 32. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? How will he not freely give me all things? He will give me all things because my future is secure forever. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Yeah, my friends have this mercy in their life and this mercy. I don't have that. But it says, no good thing does he withhold. That's right. They have it, and he has it, but you don't have it. You know why you don't have it? Because right now in your life, it's not a good thing for you. doesn't mean you won't have it. It just means right now it's not a good thing. But when it's a good thing for you, and when you're ready to handle it, you'll have it. Because how will he, together with Christ, not also freely give us All things. Who brings a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of the Father, who intercedes for us. Watch this. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. No one. Will tribulation or distress or, oh my gosh, what if I go through persecution? You go through persecution. Christ can save you in the midst of persecution. Watch this. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword separate us from the love of God? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, Period salvation is a package. It's a chain that cannot be broken. And I need to know that as I read Philippians 2, which says, hey, Steve, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, my gosh, what if I screw up? Well, I am going to screw up. But see, I got the backing in Romans 8. Because I'm not perfected yet. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For Watch this. It's God who's at work within you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You look back over your life the last five years, do you not see God at work within you? Do you not see God at work in your life? You have kids? Uh, depending on how many kids you have, your kids are in that many different places in life. Uh, if you've got three kids, usually one of them is doing really well, and one of them is really not doing well, and one of them is kind of in the middle apathetic. I mean, I don't know. But they're never at the same place, I don't think. If you have kids, I don't know, it's just kind of how it works. Uh, and do you pray for your kids? Yeah, why do you pray for your kids? Well, because there's a process going on in their lives. And some of them have heard the gospel, and now they're kind of taken with the things of the world, and they're kind of drifting, so you're praying for them. Well, oh, Lord, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, them. Don't, don't let them get away. I mean, you see? There's a, but see, this you know what this is? Work out. Work out. Work out. That's, in other words, apply your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who is at work within you, both to will and the work for his good pleasure. He's got something he wants to do in your life. He's got a plan for your life. Are you tracking with me? This, this, this is a process. God has something in mind for you. He says to all of us, "Work out your salvation with fear and trembling." Uh, are we, are, let, let's say in here, and, and I, I, let's say in here that we have all trusted in Christ alone for forgiveness of our sins for salvation. So, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So, as individuals, let's say we've all received salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who's at work within you both to will and work for his good pleasure. You know what God's good pleasure is? Is that he's not going to work the same way in all of our lives. Number one, we're all saved, but we're all different. He made us to be different. He made us with different temperaments. He made us with different gifts. He made us with different personalities. He, he made us with different skill sets. You ever talk to somebody and, and you find out what they do and how they make a living and you go, wow, that's just amazing. That's incredible. Every once in a while, somebody does something really, really unusual. Well, how do they get into that? Well, they have a skill set that's really rare. You see? In other words, the guy sitting around you, God has a plan for guys around you that are Christians, but he's got a different plan. He's going to do something different in everybody's life. Because you see in Ephesians 2, when it says, For our grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, that any man should boast, watch this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. See, the good works in the package that you got with salvation, not only forgiveness of sin, but then God has good works in mind for you to do. But the good works you, that God has in mind for you to do are totally different than the guy sitting next to you because you have different gifts. And you have a different calling. And he wired you differently. And he uses us in different ways. That's the body of Christ. No one has all the gifts. We need each other. So the question is, um, how do I work out my salvation? I think there are four things in this text that tell me how to work out my salvation. Let me go ahead and give them to you, and then we'll break them down one by one. Uh, How do I work out my salvation with fear and trembling? Number one, be teachable. We'll look at verses 14 and 15. Be teachable. Okay. Here's number two. Be in the word. That's verse 16. Number three. Pray. You say, "Where is that?" Well, I'll show you where it is. I'll, I'll, I'll reference that a little bit later. Number four: Listen to mature leaders. Listen to mature. So, how do I work out my salvation with fear and trembling? Be teachable. Be in the Word. Pray, listen to mature leaders. Um, <laughs> all right, let's let's go to uh, let's go back to Philippians two. I'm still in Romans eight. So be teachable. Let's pick it up in 12. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you. And he is at work within you. The spirit of God is in you, both to will and to work. Watch this. For his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. Now watch this. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among, you, among whom you appear as lights of the world. Um, I want to go back to verse 14, when it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That is the opposite of being teachable. Now, I want you to follow me here. One of the ways, one of the other ways that God works in our lives to develop us is he does it through suffering we talked we talked about this in the series if you go up to philippians 129 it has been granted to you not only to believe in christ but to suffer for his sake so it's kind of a shock because it depends on how you hear the gospel and sometimes people overpromise on the gospel and and, you know, are you, have you got trouble? Is your life a wreck? Because you know, everything going to fall in the, in the ditch? Well, come to Christ. And your your life will be completely and totally changed. It will be in the sense that you're forgiven of your sin. But see, what we kind of hear is, all my problems are going to be over. In fact, oftentimes when you come to Christ, your problems aren't over. They're just starting. But you don't have a sin problem, and you don't have a peace with God problem, you just have adversity and you have difficulties and you have trials. Why? Because that's how God trains us and matures us. What happens is, you've got your trials in your life right now, you've got your adversities, I've got mine, okay. Here's what happens. We have to be very, very careful as we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, That we do all things without grumbling or disputing. When difficult, why would you grumble and dispute? Let's ask that. Because you're grumbling because things aren't going the way you want them to go. You're disputing. You're disputing with God because he is not doing things you want him to do them. You have expectations. Proverbs says the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. See, in other words, we all come to the Lord, and in our lives, we all kind of got our schemes for being successful and what we want our lives to look at. And I want my life to be like this and this, and I want to do this and this, and we got our goals and our objectives. And God sort of comes along most times and kind of goes, just like that. Because you see, he's got a plan much better than yours. He's got a plan much better than mine. And a lot of times in our maturity, we want things to be a certain way, and when they don't happen that way, we begin to crumble and dispute. Now, this, the grumbling and disputing goes back to the children of the wilderness, wilderness, children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. And if you read the book of Hebrews, God talks about those people, how they would grumble. And in the Old Testament, when those people would grumble, it had the idea, this was serious stuff, it had the idea of unbelief. Unbelief. They were partakers of the Holy Spirit. Every day the manna was showing up. They were being fed supernaturally. God did miracles to take them out of Egypt. He opened the Red Sea. They walked across on dry land. And what did they do? They grumbled. They grumbled. It was such a depth of grumbling that it was unbelief. Now, th- th- there's a difference, they just didn't believe. They saw all the manifestations of the power of God on their behalf, and did it cause them to believe and be thankful? No. They grumbled. They were in utter and absolute rebellion. Uh, I, I think, so understand the seriousness of this. When, and, and, and they were in different trials. God took them through the wilderness, took them through the desert. He delivered them from one trial, then they'd face another trial, and they would immediately begin to grumble and rebel in unbelief. Oh, God sent us out here. God's going to, our kids are going to be destroyed by God. All these horrible things they accuse God of. That's not a teachable spirit. All right, so, so then let's flip it, and let's talk about, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who's at work within you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. So here's what happens. When you hit adversity, when you hit difficulty in your life as a Christian, um, here's, here, here, here's what you've got to adopt. You've got to have a teachable spirit. And, the, and when you start reading the Bible, you're going to see that God brings trials and adversity into your life for a reason. If that's true, if James 1 is true, count it joy. Don't it doesn't say feel it as joy. But think it, count joy. You do that, count with your mind. Consider it joy. Consider it joy when you encounter various trials. Watch this. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have this perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, you become mature by going through trials. So, in other words, trials have a purpose in your life. So here's the deal. When a trial comes into your life, instead of getting angry at God and mad at God and ticked off at God, Here's, here's the approach to take, is, is this. You know, Lord, you, you know my heart, and this is hard for me, and it's very difficult for me, I'm under a lot of pressure. But I'm asking you to help me to learn every lesson you have for me in this. I want to learn every lesson. He honors that. <laughs> You're not grumbling. He knows you don't like it. Are you under financial pressure? If you are, I mean, do you enjoy financial pressure? You got all these bills going out and you're looking at your account and you're good for about four hours. That's pressure. You ever tried to make a payroll and it wasn't there? That's pressure. I think it was Obadiah Sedgwick who said, God often, let me get this right. God often helps when there is least hope. God often let us, He often lets us get right to the cliff's edge, and then He comes in with a well-timed help. You see, and instead of grumbling all the way, you man, man, I can only go three more days. Well, you got three days worth, right? But see that, yeah. But see, I don't want three days worth. I want three years worth of uh, resources. Because I went to a financial seminar and they said I should have that much. Well, that's well and good. But sometimes the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. So what do you do when the Lord is taking away? He's testing your faith. So, Lord, you know, you've made made these promises to me in your word. And my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Lord, I got this mortgage payment coming up here in four days. I got to feed these kids. And, Lord, we're right at the end here. Instead of grumbling and complaining, you just hold up his word. And and say, Lord, now and help me, Lord, help me tonight to trust you. Help me to trust you, Lord. Help me to sleep. Help me to Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. You know, Lord, I'm going to feed on your faithfulness. What I'm trying to do here, Lord, is store up grace for the next three, four days, for the next three years. But see, he doesn't want you storing up grace because his mercies are new every morning. So, Lord, keep me teachable. Am I making any sense at all? See? So, some of you guys know that last year, we sold our property. We'd been there 18 years. And uh, it, it was, it, I look back on You look back and you see, you see God's hand working out your salvation. I had no intention of selling that property. Uh, but my son Josh had come to me and he said, Dad, John and I, his older brother, we've been talking and all this and we were talking about you and Mom, and he said, Dad, have you thought about selling this property? It's a great place. We love it, but it's 20 acres and a lot of work, a lot of repair, and a lot of expense. And, Dad, you're getting old and you're falling apart and you're going to die. <laughs> I mean, he didn't say that, but that's what he, it was kind of what he was saying. He said, you know, Dad, you've got a few weeks left here, Dad. But he, he said, Dad, have you guys thought about, have you and Mom thought a lot about selling? And I said, well, actually, we, we I mean, we've talked about it from time to time over the years, but we haven't talked about it in a while. And he said, Dad, I, John and I would really like you to think about this, and you and Mom to pray about it. He said, you know how hot this market is? And I said, no, I don't. And he started telling me. And I said, oh, that's really interesting. And I said, okay. And we talked for 45 minutes an hour. I said, okay, I'll talk to Mom. And, I mean, he was, it was heartfelt from both of the boys. Well, <clears throat> so, I don't know, a couple weeks later, three weeks later, Mary and I are talking, and she said, you seem kind of you, you seem kind of depressed. And I said, I'm not depressed, I'm just, um, I'm exhausted. She said, why are you exhausted? I said, suddenly, the, the ministry funds that have been coming in really nicely for the last several years, they, I mean, we, we've just had a major drought. I mean, just boom, 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 boom. She said, really? I, not a little dip, I mean, it's just I've had different guys that have, you know, been apart and said, hey, Steve, I'm not going to be able to do what I thought I could do. I've had four guys in a row in the last three weeks. She said, really? And so we just start talking about that. And, and, and I said, it's not that, you know, they all want to stay on board. It's just they've had a reversal in their business right now. When things turn around, they'll get on board. And we're talking about this, and I don't know, kind of went like, she said, you know, this is very severe. I said, it's severe. Yeah, it's severe, all right. She said, when was the last time something like this happened? Like this? And I, I, When we started going back, and we looked back, and she said, do you remember back when, like, it got real, real severe? And I said, yeah, I remember that. And, and, and as we talked about it, that experience, which was different, but it was like God withheld a bunch of stuff from us that had been there. You know what that did in our lives? That redirected our path. And then I said, oh, and you remember, go back, go back to 81. Do you remember? And then we started, and we, we looked back over our, we've been married 38 years. We looked back and three things came to mind in our lives where God had um, used uh, pressure and adversity. Real tough adversity that came out of nowhere. Real pressure. But as a result of the pressure, what he was doing was, he was redirecting us. And we didn't know it at the time, but see, we've been married 38 years and we've been doing this a while and we're sitting there and we're looking at each other and I say, yeah, I remember Josh and John came? And within 10 minutes we looked at each other and said, you know what? This chapter is over. And as soon as I said that, or Mary said, I can't remember who, but as soon as that was said, I had a burden lift off my shoulders. That's all I can tell you. I knew, I knew that was the direction of God. I knew it, and she knew it. Isn't that wild? It was as clear, as clear as be, and we never doubted it for a moment. My kids never doubted it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work within you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. But you've got to be teachable. We had to look, all right, why is this happening? You have to look at, what is God trying to say to us here? Instead of grumbling and, oh, you know, the money's tightening. Lord, what are you doing here? What is this? You control those guys. They're good guys. They love you. You control their purse strings. All right, what's going on here? What are you trying to say to us? Be teachable. Okay. Here's the second one. Be in the word. Look at verse 16. I, I'm skipping a lot of stuff I just can't touch on. Um Hey, I'll tell you this, though, in 15, when you walk with the Lord and you're trusting him and you're not rebelling against him and not grumbling and in unbelief at him. Now, you legitimately tell, have you got, someone sent me an email this week and said, Steve, I'm under a lot of financial pressure and I don't want to grumble. And how do I grumble? How do I talk to the Lord without grumbling? Just tell him your heart. He knows your heart anyway. Just tell him your heart. He wants you to tell him your heart. Don't you want your little kids to come and tell you what's on their heart? Oh, you're his little kid. Just tell him your heart. That's not grumbling. That's not unbelief. That's not, you just say, Lord, I'm really concerned about this and I don't see the way out. Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. You see? That's not grumbling. That's just telling the Father. You can do that all day long. He wants you to do it. By the way, Philippians 4 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God. How often do you let your requests be made known to God? As much as you want to do it. Do I just do it once? Well, that never happens with me. I usually don't make a request once. I usually do it multiple times. You see? Okay. But when you're walking with the Lord and you're trusting in Him and being teachable, you may not know it, but verse 15 says, Among this unbelieving generation you appear as lights of the world. Verse 16. Holding fast the word of life. That's the Bible. That's being in the word. Holding fast the word of life. So that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. If I am in the word of God and studying the word of God and have a teachable spirit, and I'm not just a hearer of the word, but I'm a doer of the word, my life won't be in vain. I might make mistakes, I might fall short, but my life will not be in vain. Why? Because I'm trying to work out his... Well, I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling. How do, his, how do you work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God's work within you? By getting to know God. How do I get to know God? By knowing his word. That's why you're at Bible study. That's why you hear your pastor. You, you, you come here Sunday morning, you hear Chuck, or where you go to church, you hear your pastor open the word of God. Holding fast the word of life. It is not an idle word for you, It is your life. Uh, Matthew 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You hold fast to the word of God. You can't live without it. Holding fast the word of life. um, It's Psalm 1, is what it is. It's Psalm 1. When you hold fast the word of life, here's what's happening. Uh, (laughs) Man alive. Come on, Psalm 1. Here we go. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. We're surrounded by a wicked and unbelieving generation. Ah, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Hmm. How do I work out my salvation? See, and, and your salvation, it's, it's your life. You, you, you're following Christ. He saved you. Now you're walking through life. You're following the Savior. And, and so we, we hit these different decisions in life. Well, I met this guy. You know, I'm thinking about marrying her. All right, what's her character like? Does she love the Lord Jesus? Is she under the authority of the word? Is she always, is she always uh, um, debasing the word of God? Is she always questioning the word of God? Does she not believe the word of God? If she doesn't believe the word of God, she doesn't believe Jesus. Is she under the blood of Christ? Is she under the authority of Christ? Actually, no, she isn't. Well, then you should have nothing to do with her. Why would you even consider marrying her? She is not in the faith. You are not to be unequally yoked. You're to find a woman who loves Christ the way that you love Christ, you see? Now, if you're not in the Word, you're not going to know that. Well, we're really having struggles, and it's not working out. That's because you're unequally yoked, you see? So wait and find a gal that loves the Lord. You, so, I really have a desire to be married. Yeah, that's a godly desire. But you've got to find someone who knows the Lord, you see? Well, she's really a neat girl. She may be a neat girl, but she doesn't know the Lord. So you have no business moving ahead in the relationship with her. That's unwise. You're asking for trouble. Why would you want to? Listen, it was was women who undoubtedly had some real appeal that brought Solomon down because they didn't have a love for God in their heart. Had no intention of saying that, but I said it. You got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You want to be married? You're thinking about marriage? Get in the Word of God and be teachable. And if she's not a believer, have, don't. I had a gal one Sunday after I was talking with Chuck, and she was telling me she really wanted to be married and where she was hanging out and where she was going. I said, You don't want to go there. You're not going to find him. you're not going to find a Boaz there. <laughs> let me tell you, boy, no singles bars. Let me tell you, those boys have got one thing on their mind, and it's not finding a Ruth. It's not finding a godly woman. They want to get you in the sack as quick as that. I didn't tell her this, but she knew what I meant. You see? Bad company corrupts good morals, 1 Corinthians 15. Be in the Word. Now, if you're not in the Word, you're not going to know those principles. By the way, the third principle of working out your salvation with fear and trembling is to pray. It's not sp- specifically said in the text, but it's everywhere in Scripture. That those who are in the word pray. Let me show you Acts six. In Acts chapter six, the church is growing. The Holy Spirit is working. Uh, all these people are coming to the Lord. They've got all these physical needs. All these widows have to be taken care of. And in verse six, because there was growth in the church, certain uh, widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, "It's not desire." I'm in Acts six. It's not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation. This is deacons. Seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may, we may put in charge of this task. Watch this. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Anybody who's in the Word is praying. Yeah. You pray as, and, and you see, Steve, I got a full-time job. I can't pray without ceasing. Well, it doesn't mean that you, you, you're, you're always praying. It just means that you got that dedicated fax line. You know, and as you're going about your work, you're just, you're always, you always get, the, you always get the frequency on. Then have to be a long prayer. Lord, I need wisdom as I walk in this meeting. I'm walking in right now. I need the mind of Christ. You got it. You got it. I got this meeting, Lord. I don't know if they're going to promote me or fire me. Ah, my times are in thy hand. I'm just going in here to Lord to see what you've decided to do. My life's in your hands. But you just have these prayers. You just pray. You see? You see, your son's got a job interview. Just text him. Just just text him. Hey, praying for you right now. Right now. That's how it works. You just keep that communication line with the Father. And, and, and when you, listen, let me tell you something. When you're trying to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, do you think God's going to try and confuse you? Do you think God's going to try and frustrate you? We went to a, this weekend, we went to a 40 something reunion that Mary had with uh, her campus crusade for Christ group at the University of Georgia. And uh, it was a pretty neat time, you know, several hours in in Atlanta. And uh, I I didn't know anybody there. I'd meet people, and they were looking at me like, I said, I'm a Gentile. I've been grafted in. I'm with Mary. (laughs) Oh, okay, good. But it was interesting just sitting in. And then, you know, I ran into some guys that, hey, Steve, do you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we, you know. Oh, yeah, no kidding. And there were all these connections. Interesting, uh, but I was in conversations with different guys, and uh, it was interesting who married who. It was interesting in that group who wanted to marry who, and it didn't happen. But one of those who wanted to marry her—that's who I wound up marrying. You see. And it was kind of fun because they'd and this other guy. Sharp guy. They dated for a year. I, I knew all about it. Had great time with him. Great guy. Sharp guy. It was just interesting. See, and, and I'm sure there was a period of time where there were people in that room who were praying, Lord, show me what you want to do. Show me what you want to do. And they had, and they had hopes and they had dreams and it didn't happen. You see? But then you meet their wife and... And you see and how the Lord, were I, I don't know, I'm, I'm not giving you details, I was just watching and I was enjoying watching the providence of God in people's lives. And as I was doing that, I was talking with a friend who was very concerned about his son in college who was dating a young woman who is in great need and really not sure if she's a believer, but he's very concerned about his son obviously, dating this gal who really needs to know the Lord. But, you know, and, and we've been talking about it, and I spent some time with him, and, and as we were talking, he said, did I ever tell you about that gal I was engaged to years ago when I was in college? And I said, maybe, I don't remember. He goes, yeah, we were engaged for two and a half years, and three days before the wedding, I uh, called it off. I said, three days before the wedding? He said, yeah, three days before the wedding. I called it off, and he said, I really wasn't walking with the Lord all that much. But I woke up one morning, and I just had this thing in my gut. I couldn't do this. So he didn't. Even, he wasn't walking fully with the Lord, but you know what he was doing? He was working out of salvation with fear and trembling, and maybe he didn't even realize it, but he could not marry that girl. And I said, well, you know why you couldn't marry that girl? Because this son who you're concerned about, who might marry the wrong girl, that boy needed to exist. And if you had married her, you had the right sperm, but she didn't have the right egg, and he never would have come into existence. And now you've got your boy. And by the way, you're concerned that God works in the boy of your life? If he saved you three days before a wedding, can he save your boy? Yeah. Does that make any sense? Here's the fourth one. Um, Listen to mature leaders. As you're trying to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, uh, so so guys, when when I say this, work out your salvation, here's what I want to say to you. You've been saved by grace, but God has given you gifts and he's given you a calling. Every man has some kind of calling on his life. It doesn't mean we're going to be Billy Grahams. It doesn't mean we're going to be famous. But God's got a slot for you. He's got a slot for you. Whatever your slot is, whatever your gifts are, whatever doors God has opened for you, whatever path he has made for you, how did you get to where you are right now? How did you get that job? How did you get that position? You look back and you'll see the hand of God. He slotted you in there. And see, that's your light there. That's your work. uh, Colossians 3, whatever you do, do your work heartily, not as unto men, but as unto Christ. And and he navigates us. And he takes us through jobs that we don't fit. And you learn as much in a job in which you don't fit as a job in which you do fit. The lousy, every job is preparation. But you see, he's navigating you through life. So you can provide for your family and take care of your family and all this stuff. All right. We're walking by faith. We're trusting in him. Um, This next one, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So some of you guys are trying to figure out uh, where you are in life, well, you ask, "If I'm trying to wrap up my retirement stuff. I'm trying to figure out this transition. Or I'm trying to figure this out over here. Or I'm trying to figure out this. So what do you need? You need wisdom. Where do you get wisdom? Proverbs says, in an abundance of counselors, there's victory. Uh, in the rest of Philippians 2, Paul says, I'm going to send two men to you. I'm going to send Timothy. Um, let's go back to Philippians 2. I'm going to send Timothy. Verse 19. But I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you shortly so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Watch this. I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth. He's a proven mature leader. By the way, what Timothy is doing, remember earlier in Philippians it says, have the same mind in you which was in Christ Jesus? Have a a mind of humility. Peter... had. Timothy has the mind of humility. I can trust him because he's going to come and not try to serve himself. He's going to serve you. And then he mentions a guy, Epaphroditus, in verse 25. I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who was also your messenger and minister to my need. He was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. He was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. Not only on him, but on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Um, 29, receive him in the Lord, and all men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. One of the ways you sort out, one of the ways you um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God's work within you, is consult godly men, consult godly leaders. Say, hey, I'm working on this. Can I get some wisdom from you? What do you think? Let me lay out this scenario. I'd appreciate your wisdom and your insight. You ever do that? It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. You can't live the Christian life by yourself. There are guys that are skilled, that are gifted. This could be a pastor. It doesn't have to be a pastor. it's a guy that's walking with the Lord. Maybe a guy that knows your world. Maybe a guy that knows you. Maybe a guy that knows your, your, uh, your industry, where you are in life. And get wisdom from a guy like Timothy or a guy like uh, Epaphroditus. You see, God at key points will bring key people into your life. Listen to them. Listen to them. There have been some guys that God has brought into my life at, the, at just significant moments that have made all the difference for me as I was making a critical decision. Because I'm trying to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Should I go this way or should I go this way? But see, this will take us back to the first thing we discussed. And sometimes if you talk to one or two or three people and you respect their walk with the Lord, I find that when I hear the same thing from two or three people and I respect their, their walk with the Lord, I figure God's handing me a FedEx letter. It's confirmed by two or three. By the way, if you're getting sound wisdom from some folks, can I, can I say something to you? Be teachable. Be teachable. Listen to sound wisdom. That's how you work out your salvation. Fear and trembling, for it's God who's at work within you. Anything you hear, test according to the word. If it doesn't fit the word, don't go for it. We all have a sphere of influence, and I'm done. We all have a sphere of influence. You have your sphere, I have mine. When I say sphere of influence, you have your home, your physical home where you live. You have your family. Those, maybe some of you have kids at home, maybe you have kids married and away from home. You have extended family, okay. You have your place of work, where do you work? You work out of the house or you drive to work? You got a sphere, all right? You got a church, you got people, you got friends. You don't travel all over the state of Texas, relationships all week long. You understand, you got a sphere. That's your sphere, that's your area of responsibility. As Adam was responsible for the garden, you're responsible for your sphere. I read an article this week and I want to finish with this. Um, I read several articles about the unusual number of Samoan football players that are in the National Football League. I I just wanted to close with a spiritual insight. (laughs) But there's a spiritual insight here. Uh, there was an article in Sports Illustrated recently about the best high school football player in Hawaii, and I'm going to butcher his name, Tuwa Taga Bailoe. Uh, he went to the same high school, St. Louis High School in Honolulu, as Heisman trophies, Trophy winner Marcus Mariota. On the surface, the comparison between the two quarterbacks is understandable. Besides playing for the same high school, both quarterbacks share a similar style that makes them a threat on the ground and in the air. And like so many great players in Hawaii, they shared a Samoan heritage. And it's this last bit that's the most intriguing and inspiring part of the story. I'm quoting John Stone Street here, at least for Christians. At the heart of the Sports Illustrated story about Tuwa is his relationship with his late grandfather. It's a story about a Christian from one generation passing a spiritual legacy to the next generation. The article is filled with Bible verses, Sports Illustrated. It tells readers that the entire Valoa clan gathers every evening for prayer and teaching to sing a Samoan hymn that asks God to be present in everything they do. Help us work out our salvation with fear and trembling in everything we do. This is something that Tua has in common with his hero, Marcus Mariota. Mariota, as we've said before on Breakpoint, is also a Christian whose goal is to go out and show the world that Jesus Christ lives. Even more remarkably, Mariota's hero was Jack Thompson, who played for Washington State and the Bengals, who was known as the Throwing Samoan. He's also a Christian. Football fans have long noted the disproportionate amount of Samoan players in the NFL and big-time college football. By one estimate, a Samoan male is 56, more time, is 56 times more likely to play in the NFL than an American non-Samoan. Lee Steinberg, the agent, sports agent, he said, I live in Newport Beach, California. The population in Newport Beach, California is the same on the island of Samoa. There's one kid out of Newport Beach that plays in the NFL. There are 56 out of Samoa. And you know what Steinberg said? It's not because of their physical prowess. He said it's because of their spirituality. And then you go on and read here about the Christian roots of these guys. That some men who were converted under John Wesley actually made their way to the Pacific Islands. And by the 1850s, the Bible was translated into Samoan. And you see, this has been passed down now from generations that in whatever you do, do your work heartily for the Lord Jesus Christ. And... It doesn't mean all these guys are believers, but it means that they have a heritage. They have a work ethic. They've been taught Christian principles, and many are believers. But you see, I, I played high school football at San Mateo High School. We, had, uh, we have five, Samo- five Samoan guys on our team, and you cut a wide swath through those guys because they were wide. <laughs> Hardest I ever got hit was by a Samoan fullback but they were gracious guys, they were gentlemen. Their dads all had come to the Bay Area to work for United Airlines on the ramp, but they had a spiritual heritage. His grandpa, every night, they'd sing a hymn, he'd take care of his sphere. And what was the hymn? What was the hymn they would sing? They'd ask God to be present in everything they do. That's working out your salvation. With fear and trembling, for God is at work within you, both to will and to work, for His good pleasure. Let's pray. We're all in process, Lord. We think the little things we do don't count. We, we we think speaking in front of millions counts or thousands, but being with your family around the table and singing a hymn or quoting a verse that counts. We just never know how it's going to count. That's our sphere. And even as we sing those hymns and even as we quote those verses, we're all trying to work stuff out in our lives right now. Some guys are trying to work out what medical treatment they should, they should seek for their wives or for themselves. Some guys are trying to figure out their next career step. Some guys are in a really tight spot with a the business they've started, and, Lord, the funding has just dried up. I pray that you will, as the psalmist said, answer them quickly. They are in distress. It could be a hundred different things. But, Lord, we're trying to work it out. But we come to you because we have nowhere else to go. Help us to go home and rest. Help us to sleep. And we thank you that we'll wake up with brand new mercy waiting for us, hot out of the oven. We're thankful for this. In Jesus' name, amen.